in every country. Dreams, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with this month's podcast, brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up to date with developments in the arboriculture industry. Today's talk is by Jessica Voigt and Shannon Watkins on neighborhood and nonprofit urban forestry. It was originally presented at the 2015 ISA International Conference in Orlando, Florida. Thank you, Anne, and thank you all for being here. Um, we are going to try to to get through this fairly quickly because I know we're the the last thing standing between you all and beer. Um, so, um, without much ado, this this project, although Shannon and I are the ones presenting, it's due to the work of a large research team that we've worked with collaboratively for the last at least four years now, if not some of them even longer. Um, and so, in particular, we'd like to to draw attention to our Bloomington Urban Forestry Research Group team. Uh, in particularly our advisor, um, Bernie Fisher, who has just actually retired and gone to emeritus status at IU now. So this project is titled um, Examining the Social and Ecological Outcomes of Nonprofit and Neighborhood Tree Planting. It was funded by a National um, Forest Service, National uh, Urban and Community Forestry Advisory Council, NUCFAC, grant. Uh, and we've received additional support from the Northern Research Station Forest Service Office um, and uh, Lynn Westfall in, in Chicago. Our pilot research in Indianapolis that predates and sets up this project examined um, trees and their, the outcomes of these collaborative nonprofit and neighborhood tree plantings in the context of this urban social ecological system, a combined human and natural system that we all know the urban forest to be. In Indianapolis, we found, um, unsurprisingly, that attributes of the tree, its growing environment, the community uh, surrounding the tree, and those management practices that the community takes all matter to tree growth and survival. Uh, And somewhat unsurprisingly, that tree characteristics, such as uh, tree species or tree family, matter a little bit more to growth as kind of a finer metric of tree success than the survival, alive or dead. There are several um, what we'll call choice variables that emerged from this research, things that we as those who plant and manage trees can actually do an impact in the environment and have control over. We found that a smaller tree at planting was better, which is consistent with previous research. We found that the nursery of origin matters, that different nurseries have different um, success rates, um, partially as nursery is related to planting packaging um, and also then to, to tree species. Um, We found in Indianapolis that ball and burlap or container trees were both performed worse than root bag trees. And as a result, uh, Keep Indianapolis Beautiful, the nonprofit, has moved away from planting um, ball and burlap trees as much as possible because of this research. 
Um, we found that fall planting season is better, which makes sense if you live anywhere in the Midwest, um, the lower Midwest in particular, you know we've experienced some pretty dry drought summers these last um, couple years, particularly in 2009 and 2010. Um, and so if we plant trees in the fall, they end up doing a little bit better without having to withstand that hot, dry summer. Um, and we also found some interesting impacts of watering strategy. Um, we found that, that there's an interaction here between the type of watering strategy a neighborhood will use to actually water those trees planted in their neighborhood and planting season. So we found that for spring plant planted trees, collective watering, watering all as a group of neighbors actually works better than individual watering because neighborhoods can capitalize on this kind of collective momentum that a planting happens in the spring, then we water in the summer. Um, compared to plantings in the fall, uh, an individual watering strategy where I might water the tree in front of my yard and Ann waters the tree in front of her yard, um, that actually works better for fall plantings. Um, although we should note that uh, this research to date has not attempted to quantify the specific amount of watering or the exact frequency of watering. We just infer that uh, a group of people watering together where we have multiple people kind of interacting and in charge of watering a group of trees means that we might, we might water a little bit more consistently and more frequently just because we all are out there at the same time watching each other do this watering. So building on that research and in what we've learned in Indianapolis, we said, this is great. This is Indianapolis. This is one city, one nonprofit. Let's see what if this scales and what we can actually learn from other cities because we know these nonprofit neighborhood tree plantings are pretty common across the United States. Um, you know, there's, there's Neighborhoods Month, right, every October that seeks to engage neighborhoods and nonprofits and communities in these collective tree planting efforts. So we wanted to know broadly how neighborhood tree survival varies across cities and then what factors impact the success of, of this tree survival. And we also wanted to know, um, you know, building on this idea of watering all as a group might do some things to, to the trees and to the neighborhoods when we're interacting with, our, with each other. We wanted to know, does tree planting strengthen community capacity in any other ways in neighborhoods? And so today I'll be presenting on these, the, the tree results in the first question, uh, and then my colleague Shannon will be taking us home talking about kind of tree planting strengthening community and what we've learned. The outcomes of interest here specifically that I've mentioned a little bit, um, and these are based on both informal discussions with people in the nonprofits that we've been collaborating in this research with, as well as the scientific literature. So we're interested in survival and growth as two relatively coarse metrics of tree success in the urban forest. Um, and these are survival and growth at you know, points in time about three to five years after we've planted these trees. So relatively early, really early in a, in a tree's lifespan. And then we're also interested in community capacity as measured by social cohesion, um, the ties we have between neighbors, and then the trust that neighbors have for one another. And Shannon will tell you more in a bit of how we measure each of those things, because that's kind of tricky. So I mentioned we wanted to scale this up to five nonprofits and five cities. So we, um, as, as a result of conversations with a lot of nonprofits across the country, um, we, we um, weeded down our, our list to these five participating nonprofits, um, all of whom are members of the Alliance for Community Trees, who has also been a very important partner in this research. Um, we couldn't have done it without AC Trees. 
So we have Trees Atlanta in Atlanta, the greening of Tr Detroit in Detroit, Michigan, Keep Indianapolis Beautiful in Indiana, um, Pennsylvania Horticultural Society in Philadelphia, and then Forest Re Relief of Missouri operating. Um, we, we looked at most of their plantings in St. Louis. In each city, we looked at 25 tree planting neighborhoods per city. Uh, and these are block groups, US Census block groups, um, which we selected as neighborhoods by virtue of they have very clear boundaries and it's very easy to, um, to randomly sample addresses and get information about the people that live in those block groups. Um, and then we also selected 25 neighborhoods in each city that to our knowledge have not engaged with tree planting um, at least through these nonprofits in any way. And so those are kind of our comparison neighborhoods. We made sure that population of comparison neighborhoods looks fairly similar on a, on a suite of sociodemographic characteristics to, to these um, neighborhoods. Um, we looked at both trees and people within these neighborhoods. So we were looking at tree planting projects of 20 or more trees planted per project um, because there's a little bit of reason common sense dictates that we should have a project that's big enough that actually might have some sort of community impact. Um, and these projects, these trees were planted between 2009 and 2011. Um, and then we also randomly surveyed neighborhood residents within, those, um, within those, those areas in which the trees had been planted in each city. So in those 25 tree planting neighborhoods and then also in those 25 comparison neighborhoods, we surveyed, um, we surveyed individuals. So the main uh, means of data collection were this, first we gathered information about the trees um, and we actually trained citizen scientists um, and high schoolers and you know, master gardeners and a huge variety of people within each city um, on a standardized set of methods for going into these neighborhoods and actually re-inventorying, you know, finding and then collecting information about the trees that had been planted. Um, and these methods are, are, are described in our planted tree re-inventory protocol. Um, then uh, I mentioned the survey, the household survey of residents that we also used. Um, we also interviewed both the nonprofit employees uh, in each of these cities as well as the um, neighborhood leaders and um, um, you know, just different neighborhood residents that had been involved in or are considered community leaders um, to tell us a bit more about the actual kind of social characteristics about the neighborhood. We use data from the US Census to describe the sociodemographics of, of the neighborhoods. And then we also use remote sensing data. Um, Sean Sweeney was our kind of staff um, remote sensing expert, and he, he did some excellent canopy cover calculations that we use to, to both standardize where we are collecting data as to well as to inform how we're interpreting that data. So what did we learn then about, about trees and people? We learned that tree survival um, with the exception of Philadelphia, is actually surprisingly consistent for, um, for each city. So here you'll see um, a, a table that shows the number of trees planted total in, in each city um, in, in these years, our study years, the no percent of those trees that we re-inventoried, uh, and then cumulative survival rates, so how many trees of those planted were surviving after this three to five year window, and then what is the annual survival rate um, for each cohort of trees. Um, and we see an annual survival rate for Atlanta, Detroit, uh, and Indianapolis of about 93%. 
um, and then 87% in, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia kind of being our, our outlier um, for some reasons I'll, I'll expound upon uh, a little bit later. Um, one thing I should note at this point is that in St. Louis, we had a slightly different re-inventory um, methodology in that we knew approximately where the project locations were, but we didn't know where individual tree locations were. Um, and so this, our, our ground crew team um, worked really hard and, and, and um, Forest Relief had a great intern that worked really hard to try to figure out where these trees were. But it was really, it turned out, a, a much more of a struggle than we anticipated to actually identify those, those individual trees that had been planted as part of these projects without knowing, um, you know, without having a GPS location or even an address location on some of the, on some of the trees location. Um, so as we move forward here, you know, that, that we um, were excluding St. Louis because it has such a small sample size that we feel it's, it's a little bit hard to make specific conclusions about what impacts tree survival um, with only just about 100 trees in our inventory there. Planting, uh, planting year was one thing we were interested in, in examining. Um, and here is where we see results that are a little bit counterintuitive to what we expected. Um, we see that um, the most recent year of planting, those trees planted in 2011, in, in Detroit and Indianapolis, um, actually did seem to do a little bit worse and have fewer trees surviving, um, which doesn't make sense given that we expect tree, you know, more trees will die each year. So we would expect that the cumulative survival of trees planted a long time ago, or you know, five years ago, or six years ago in 2009 would actually be um, a little bit lower. Um, but here's, you know, we're, we're still kind of teasing out some of those differences. Um, and, and these results are, are not controlling for things like species and other things that may actually be differentially impacting survival. Um, so we'll need to do a little bit more diving deeper into this data to explain it. Um, when we look at those uh, nonprofits that have seasons of planting um, and how, um, how that might impact um, our survival based on this previous data that said that fall planted trees did a little bit better, um, we, um, we see that Philly, Philadelphia actually uh, experienced significantly higher survival for, for fall planting, um, which is what we would expect, given that those trees won't have had to deal with a hot, dry summer immediately upon being put into the ground. Um, and that Detroit and Indianapolis, we don't see much difference in, um, we don't see a significant difference in survival for spring planted versus fall planted trees. Um, which reflects the fact that in, in our interviews with these nonprofit leaders, they have already started to shift their plantings to actually plant many more trees in the fall than in the spring. Um, and so this might just reflect that they're kind of compensating already and maybe perhaps planting different species in the spring that they know might be a little bit more drought tolerant. Um, so they're adaptively managing based on their immediate prior experience with really drought, dry summers. In, in Atlanta, we obviously can't make that same comparison since all of their trees, they're on a winter planting season there. Size at planting for cities where we have this data is another interesting factor that we've looked at and based on um, our prior data collection had shown to be significant for Indianapolis. Um, so when we look at our, um, our you know, sizes, uh, uh, caliper at planting there along the bottom and then the percent survival for Detroit in the green and uh, Indianapolis in the blue, um, we see that there are really no differences based on size for, for Detroit um, and that only those trees that are in that half inch class 
um, actually did worse in Indianapolis, um, which is another interesting finding given that it's counter to what we had found previously with our data collection. Um, and so uh, again, it might be that because there's um, a particular species that is planted in, um, in that size class that we don't see um, that species surviving as well. Um, so zooming back in on this low survival in Philadelphia before I turn things over um, to Shannon to, to tell us about the social data. It, it's interesting and one of you know our main reasons for doing this study was to be able to compare across cities and one of the take home messages is that is very difficult because of the nature of the uh, data that we have at planting from each of these cities and the differences in programming and how these nonprofits engage with neighborhoods. So in Philadelphia we think that, that uh, a low survival rate could really be attributed to, to uh, kind of three factors here that you see as these top three bullet points. First of all they plant nearly exclusively bare root planting stock and only a handful of trees total bare root were planted in all of our other cities which makes it completely impossible to compare. You're comparing apples to oranges in many ways. Um, uh, Philadelphia planted significantly more trees in the spring which we know has a lower survival rate. Um, and they're also in a significantly more urban environment with a much more constrained growing space. Um, over 80% of the trees that we re-inventoried in Philadelphia are planted in a tree pit, usually about four feet by four feet or a meter on a, on a side, um, constrained on all four sides compared to over 60% of the trees, for instance, in Indianapolis are planted in tree lawns and those tree lawns average in width of six feet or more. Um, so those are quite different growing environments, again, that makes it very difficult to compare survival rates. Um, we also see in survival, there's a couple other things that might be related to this, um, to this low survival rate. One of those things is that because there are just fewer planting spaces available per block length, per street, Philadelphia does much less clustered plantings than other cities. Um, Indianapolis, Detroit, and, and Philadelphia, or and um, Indianapolis, Detroit, and Atlanta will go down a street and plant maybe 12 trees on a block on both sides, whereas Philadelphia might plant two on this block, two on the block next to it, and three more over here. Um, and so they're just much further spread out, which might impact visibility, how they're managed, all of that. Um, Philadelphia also has no nonprofit at planting, um, although they do extensively train their volunteers, so it's really hard to tell how much this might have uh, an impact or not. Um, and then just this overall, air, you know, more air pollution in Philadelphia possibly is an overall more urban setting. Um, these, are, these are some things we, we think might explain survival. So uh, to, to reiterate some of these difficulties in comparing trees between planting and kind of wrap up this, this tree result segment, um, it's difficult to compare survival when we can't find the trees. Um, it's difficult to compare survival when we know different things about the trees at planting, size at planting, nurseries, planting packaging, all of these things we know are impact survival based on our indie pilot as well as a wealth of other research that's been done in, in you know, the past 30 years of arboriculture research. But if we don't know all of the information for every city at planting, we can't tell what's impacting survival down the road. Um, but within all of our cities, our next step in this research is to dive into the hundreds of hours of interview data we have with individual neighborhood residents to tell us about how they're managing trees in their neighborhood. And that so even if we can't make comparisons between cities, our next step is to try to see what we can learn within a single city about those different tree management practices. And with that, I'll turn it over to Shannon for some social results. 
So as Jess said, the objective of this project was both to understand how communities and nonprofits are influencing trees and also how maybe participating in those projects then feed back into the community. Um, so I am the, <laughs> the social scientist who's going to be describing what we found um, in our neighborhood. So the primary question then for this particular paper is whether tree planting can strengthen community capacity in neighborhoods. And we draw on our measures of community capacity from the literature and collective action, literature in neighborhoods previously. Our nonprofits say that they want to have some social impact. Either it's part of their mission or they've mentioned it in interviews or it's part of the way that they do programming. Um, but to find particular measures of those things, we went to the literature. And we found three things that are related to community capacity that we think we can also measure. Um, the first is social cohesion, which is a measure that comes from studies in Chicago, actually by an urban sociologist. And this gets at whether neighbors have shared values, trust, and connections between neighbors. The second is neighborhood ties, which is a little bit of a shallower measure that measures how often people in the neighborhood are doing things with each other. And then finally, trust, which is actually a component of social cohesion, is mentioned so very frequently on its own as an important component in neighborhoods. And all of these things, the literature tells us, help neighborhoods handle stress, handle violence or poverty or um, some shock, some environmental shock, perhaps a flood or a heat wave. And so we're interested in these kinds of characteristics in neighborhoods because we think that they help neighborhoods thrive. So in order to get information on neighborhoods, some studies will use census data, but for these kinds of really meaty inf um, measures, we went to a 15,000-person paper survey. Um, we randomly selected addresses in each of our study block groups using um, an outside vendor, and in each of those, we administered a survey. The comparison neighborhoods got a six-page survey that asked questions about the neighborhood um, and about themselves, their involvement, and then folks in tree-planting neighborhoods got those questions as well as an additional two pages of questions about their experiences with the planting, whether they participated or not, and also their evaluation of the planting, whether they participated or not. We sent these surveys last spring according to a modified Dillman-Taylor design method. You send a postcard in the beginning saying, hi, we're going to send you a survey. Then a week later, they receive a survey in the mail. We used a dollar incentive in that survey. Pilot work in Indianapolis suggested that that could increase response rate. Um, and then we get responses back, send a follow-up postcard saying it'll come again, and then we send a final survey asking for them to respond. We had a fairly good response rate for this kind of survey. We have a response rate of about 17%. This measure actually is pretty conservative. We sent um, a, a little bit over 13,000 surveys, but we got a lot of them returned to sender. So our best estimate of the number of people we're actually reaching is, is about um, 10,000. And we got some returns, blank surveys and those kinds of things. If we eliminate those and we look only at the usable surveys that we get back, we have about 1,500 observations, which is pretty strong. Responses vary by city, so we have a higher response rate in Atlanta and Indianapolis, but they don't vary between planting neighborhoods and comparison neighborhoods, which we might be afraid of, right? Because if you're asking about trees and sort of green things in your neighborhood, maybe the planting neighborhoods are more interested in that. But actually, we see we get quite a high response in our comparison neighborhoods, which strengthens um, the results and the comparisons we can make. So we get at this in a couple of ways, these outcomes. First, we ask directly to the people in the planting projects, regardless of whether they, those individuals, participated. Here's a list of things we think might have changed because of this project. Can you tell us whether you think the neighborhood has changed because of this project? It's very straightforward. We can communicate it very easily to the nonprofits. 
Um, and we can look at relative impacts, right? So we can see what proportion of people said yes. But also this might be subject to bias because people have to remember and they have to make some claims about impacts in their neighborhood, which might be difficult. And also maybe you have an incentive to, you see that they might be asking about keeping Annapolis beautiful. And if I say that things worked out, maybe we'll get more resources or something. So I think these, these um, measures are really helpful, but we didn't want to stop there. So what we did then is sort of get at these characteristics through a sneaky way by asking people in comparison neighborhoods and in planting neighborhoods the same questions about their neighborhood. And then we can compare their responses between comparison and planting neighborhoods to see whether there are differences. And if we can control for all sorts of other things going on in the neighborhood, then we can identify any remaining variation to be a result of that tree planting project. So we'll briefly describe the results. These are the results for those direct measures. So this shows the list of um, items that respondents were asked. And they answered just yes or no whether they noticed a change in the planting in their neighborhood because of planting. So this reports the percent of individuals who answered yes out of the total number of people who responded to the survey. A lot of people left it blank, but we included those people and assume that they say no, they don't have an effect. So you can use these stars to find out measures that we ask them that relate to our social community capacity outcomes. The blue stars are about community cohesion. And if going from top to bottom, they're actually sort of at the bottom. People help each other more, people trust each other more. We have about 10% responding that yes, they noticed a change. Um, and then very few people responding that people argue more, which we also want to include potentially negative outcomes. And we hear some stories about neighbors sort of fighting because of these things. So we wanted to make sure, you know, is this really a trend? No, it seems to be just a few cases of, of people. Um, neighborhood ties actually is quite a bit higher. People talk to each other more. People know their neighbors more. This is reported at a much higher frequency. And note here, and we'll come back to it, that the very top, the most reported is that the neighborhood is more beautiful. People take better care of their yards spend more time being physically active outside and more time being outside. I'll talk a little bit more about what we think is going on there in a minute. So these are those direct measures, but then we can also compare those responses between comparison neighborhoods and planting neighborhoods. We use this through regression analysis. We, want, we want run one regression with all four cities, all of the data in one. And then we use just each city one at a time to look at comparisons between planting neighborhoods and comparison neighborhoods. We control for a bunch of characteristics in the neighborhood to make sure that we're isolating the difference is planting and not some other characteristics of the neighborhood. And we also control for which city it's in when we do the four city study. So this table presents regression results. We had a bunch of different models, right? We won, re, run one test to measure the difference between um, social cohesion in planting neighborhoods and comparison neighborhoods in all four cities. Then we do it just in Atlanta. Then we do it just in Detroit and Indianapolis. So actually these models have a bunch of other variables. Each of these coefficients comes from a different statistical model. And what it measures is the difference in a score in social cohesion, let's say, between planting neighborhoods and comparison neighborhoods in Atlanta, for example. The star tells us whether there's a statistically different, statistically significant difference. So the ones that don't have stars are not zero, but we can't tell statistically whether they're different from zero. So we don't know very much about what's going on in those neighborhoods. Um, but we can't make any statistical claims that there's an effect. What we can do in these three gray squares that you see, uh, we find a positive and statistically significant effect or change in social cohesion and neighborhood ties between planting neighborhoods and comparison neighborhoods. So for example, in Atlanta, so in the pool, actually in the four city model, we find that neighborhood ties are significant, but the other two are not. So we see that the planting program might be influencing the ties between people, but not necessarily their trust or shared values. 
And we also find that Atlanta is significant, but in the other models, the other cities are not significant. So the second question is why, what is going on in Atlanta that makes it potentially different? So we see mixed results from, from these findings. Um, we have reports from interviews with the nonprofits and with the neighborhoods. The nonprofits come to us anecdotally. They're interested in this question, right? They think, they hear stories, they say we think something is going on. So we have those stories that neighborhoods can indeed see improvements or changes in their capacity. The direct measures also report that the programs can have some social impact, right? We see that people are responding. 10 or 20 or 30 percent of people are responding and say they notice an impact. That includes all of the people who didn't even know the program was going on. So if we can eliminate those people and of the people who knew it was going on, then we see higher. Of course, maybe it's problematic that there are people in the neighborhood who didn't know what was going on. Um, but then when we look at the indirect measures, we see some, some weak effects, right? We see some significantly statistically significant results for neighborhood ties. We don't see for social cohesion. Um, and we see some positive effects in the other cities, but they're not so strong that with our 50 neighborhoods, we pick um, them up as statistically significant. So we might be also seeing um, some positive changes, but we don't know very much about what's going on there. And we know that these impacts are not automatic, right? The moral is that we can see these programs can have positive community impacts, but they're not automatic. Just by going in a neighborhood and planting trees, we don't necessarily see some changes in communities. We think it's more strategic than that. What this does do is get us farther than other studies that have looked at the social outcomes of tree planting. There have been a number of those. Some of them have looked at satisfaction or empowerment. Um, what this does is by having this large data set in multiple cities and comparing across, it gets us closer to estimating really a causal impact. It's imperfect because we can't randomly assign trees to neighborhoods, um, but it, I think it gets us farther. And the one, one final thing of note is that we see that beautification, physical activity, time outside are actually reported as much higher changes than community capacity. I think this is quite interesting. Um, it reminds us that even though we initially intended to look at changes in the community because of participating, we just get smacked in the face with the benefits of trees in the neighborhood, right? And we can't actually tell whether people spend more time outside because they met each other and now they participate, you know, they watered trees and they liked that activity, or whether they spend more time outside because the neighborhood looks better. We don't actually really know what's driving that. But it reminds us that there are these other things going on in the neighborhood where we see you know, nearly 50% of people reporting that the neighborhood looks better. And a really shocking number of people saying people are more physically active and they take better care of their yards. We think that is really quite interesting. So two questions come from this. The first is why neighborhood ties and not um, social cohesion or trust? I think what is happening here is that neighborhood ties is a shallower measure right, that might be easier to satisfy. So if it is measuring the connections between people, how often people do things together, well, we just had them do a thing together and maybe they will do more things together, right? But then it's another step that from doing things together, they start converging on values, building trust, and that is a meatier thing to change. And so we might be from these tree plantings doing this more shallow effect, but not actually getting in at the meat or maybe we've only measured it three years later and it takes a little bit more time to happen. And then the question is why Atlanta? And one thing that we think might be going on is variation in programs. So in Atlanta, as opposed to other cities, they nearly always have a post-planting activity that is nearly always lunch, which is nearly always pizza. <laughs> and maybe it's that. We actually, on a draft of this paper, what, months ago, we're talking about why Atlanta, and someone said, well, you know, they have pizza. And someone else said, so is pizza the answer? And maybe not, <laughs> but they have this activity where everyone is getting together at the end. 
right? And so maybe something like that is going on. We do have a lot of that really rich interview data that Jess was telling you about, and what we want to do now is go in and find what's going on in neighborhoods and going on in each city and then um, systematically compare. So a couple of take-homes from sort of the whole presentation. Tracking trees is really hard when you don't know where the trees were to begin with. So we found this in St. Louis very, when we found out that they have planting locations of projects but not of trees, and it was far more difficult than we anticipated to go find those trees. It's also hard to compare across cities if we don't have different, if we don't have the same at planting information, right? So some cities have species or nursery or packaging type or size at planting, but if we don't have the same variable across all four cities, then we can't compare effects. This emphasizes the importance of having a standardized set of data. Now, my colleagues have worked on, and, and other folks here have worked on standardizing re-inventory information, right? Getting information about the trees several years after planting. But size, you know, three years later is not as helpful if you don't have size to begin with when they were planted. So we find the, that there's a real importance of having data about the trees when they were planted so that we can compare across cities. From the social things, we find that a social impact is not automatic. Um, and we find that that number one benefit in, is neighborhood beautification. What we want to do now is really dig into why, in what sorts of cases do we see positive influence, positive impacts of the programs. KIB talks to us, they're like hungry for information. They say, we know some, some communities are ready for this program, right? We know, oh, we know those guys that are super joiny, and they're going to be joiny, and they'll always be joiny, and we won't really, we might plant some trees there, but we're not going to, like, really change their capacity, right, to work together. And then there are neighborhoods that are just not ready, but how do we identify those neighborhoods that are ready? So we want to know what are those impacts, right? What are the impacts in the neighborhoods that are really ready for tree planting where this could serve a real need? Um, and then we find that this, these direct benefits right, neighborhood beautification and collective activity. And actually, Sarah Whitney, our colleague, will be presenting tomorrow in the area presentations in the morning about research that she has done in iTree to estimate the benefits of the re-inventoried trees and tell us a little bit more about um, those impacts that we're having in neighborhoods. Thank you. And we'll take, oh, I'll recognize that we have had many supportive um, funders for this project, including our nonprofit partners and Alliance for Community Trees. And with that, I will take questions. We will take questions. This concludes Jessica Voigt and Shannon Watkins' talk on neighborhood and nonprofit urban forestry. To learn more, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store including the book Up by Roots by James Urban. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to today's podcast, please visit the ISA online store and select Online CEU Quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country, trees you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques, whatever language you speak.
every day. Climb with the ISA. 